What's up, Jared? This is Delvin, a.k.a. The Dark Wealth, and I'm talking about Action Film Face-Off. I'm listening to the latest episode of Action Film Face-Off with the Highlander versus Spider-Man. And first, I just want to say y'all are coming up with consistent products and coming up with it on time. That's always awesome. Now, I'm going to talk about, first of all, who's the best sniper. The best sniper, that's me, with very quick tidbit about Spider-Man. Y'all touched on it. It's worth mentioning that Sam Raimi apparently agreed with you guys about the Green Goblin costume and Spider-Man's costume, and it kind of just terrified him that, like, they had these pitched emotional moments going on, and they're both talking through masks. So if you notice in Spider-Man 2 and Spider-Man 3 that Sam Raimi did, at every given opportunity, he was taking off that mask at every time. Harry was taking off the mask. Pete was taking off the mask. Mary Jane was taking off the mask. Or, well, she didn't have a mask, but still, you get the point. Sam Raimi did not like the fact that the protagonists and the antagonists of his movies were covered up in masks and did something to rectify it immediately after Spider-Man 1. Good show, guys. Good product. Awesome uh, sniper as well. And Kathy, of course, I'm just joking. And that's it. Take it easy. The Long Box Crusade presents... Action Film Face-Off. This episode, it's 2011 versus 2000. Two films enter one film, leaves two films enter one film, leaves... I'm sorry. All right, two films enter, one film leaves. Two men enter, one man leaves. Welcome to Action Film Face-Off. This is the show where two random years are selected. My brother will bring an action film from one of the random years. I bring an action film from the other random year. Then those two films do battle using a variety of criteria. And a champion will be crowned by the end of this episode. I am Jared Albrecht, the Death Probe. My co-host is my brother Jason, the Weasel Skull. We're both military combat veterans who take our actions seriously. But not too seriously. So let's have some fun! We have a regular episode this time around. Jason and I have seen both these films before. Our special guest who I'll introduce shortly has probably also seen them. We'll check in with him when, he, when we get there. But with that, Jason, what do we got? For those of you who are just tuning in for the first time, welcome. And here's what's going to happen today. First, we're going to score each of today's episodes on a scale of 1 to 10 in five categories. What are those categories, you ask? I retort. They are the story the overall spectacle, the best action scene, the villain, and the hero. And for those of you that were paying attention, not only is it mixed up in the script, I mixed up the script. <laughs> you got a double mix-up. Like Conception. Wow. It's a dream within a dream. <laughs> and then there will be the deduction round, where up to 10 points can be subtracted from the film's total for whatever we determine is the low point of the movie. Thank you, Jason. As usual, we are joined by our sniper today. The sniper has just one point to give in each category, so 
They can sway the scoring for up to five points. Again, though, it's a tough call because they have one point in every category. They basically have to say this one or this one is better in this category. Let's meet our sniper for this episode from Unpacking the Power of Power Pack and Monthly Monday Movie Muckabout. It is Rick Heineken. Welcome to the show, Rick. Hi guys, it's really great to be great to call in. You know, longtime listener, first time caller. This is fantastic. I really, really appreciate the opportunity. This is awesome. <laughs> well, I tell you what, we're gonna do, Rick. I know you watched two movies for this episode. Yes, we're gonna call an audible because you said you liked Highlander so much. So what we're gonna do is Highlander <laughs> again versus Highlander: The Source. Ooh, <laughs> <laughs> I think that was the last movie they made. It was so bad. It was so bad. First, I own them. I own the source. I own all of the same, Highlander movies. Same. <laughs> yeah, I own all of the TV show on VHS. Oh, I like that. You know, I like that. <laughs> the entire TV show. <laughs> it takes up like a whole room. <laughs> oh my God, yes. <laughs> that is one entire section of my collection right there. I am a big fan of Highlander. So yes, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Appreciate no that. problem. No problem. All right. While we're getting to know Rick here, we're going to ask Rick the standard question. It can be pretty tough. Rick, what are your top three action films? Well, I was going to keep it for my number one, but since it's already come up, my number one is Highlander. I'm going to go oh, ahead wow. and throw that right out there right now. Second on my list, I would say Raiders of the Lost Ark, just for the nice. absolute legacy of it all. I mean, that that is just pure adventure, pure action. It gets in your heart as a kid. And then today, when I was thinking about it, I was having a real hard time with that third one. But I got to say Rumble in the Bronx. I love me a good Jackie Chan film. I love the comedy of Rumble in the Bronx. And I know there might be some better ones, but that came out at just the right time with me and my friends. And we watched the heck out of that movie. It's a classic. It's a lot of fun. And it's really accessible. Mm hmm. Before our two films enter the video dome arena, which definitely has the spikes. I checked on that. Jason took care of the spikes already. We're thrilled to kick off this episode with special shout outs to our Crusaders Club members. These are the fine folks who have joined our crusade. They enjoy early access to special long box video episodes and voting on show programming and a little bit of this, a little bit of that, so much more. These are the folks reaping the benefits and giving some much appreciated support to the show. And Helica Wolf. Auburn Elvis, thank you very much. Bill Beer. Blast it or stash it. Braxton Underwood. Clinton Robinson. Captain Entropy. Battle Wagon himself, Dave Collins. Battle Wagon. Gary V. Gerald Green. Jason Keane. Jeremy L. Jim Jarman, Jim Jarman, Jim Jarman, Jim Jarman. I hope you like Jim Jarman too. Musical genius, Joe November. John Watson. Josh Strickland. Candace Ward. Captivating Kathy Bright, the MVP who gave us a rash of crap for not being on this episode. Mark Ross. Monstrous Mark Hatherley. Maxwell Traver. Miranda W. P.D. Devins. Paul Hicks. Rick. This guy. Me. Rob Morgan. Ryan Daly. Samantha Maney. Sean Urbanski. Spidey 67. Steve Cronin. Tim Price. Tony Pennington and Toronto Cop. If we missed anyone on the list, we apologize. Keep in mind, we record these well in advance of release, so if you're recent edition, we will add you soon. But you can always hit us up at contact at longboxcrusade.com. We'll get you straightened out. If you're asking yourself, how do I become a Crusaders Club member? It's quite simple. Patreon.com slash longboxcrusade for as little as a dollar a month. 
you get access to the amazing world, the Crusaders Club. Come check it out. A dollar a month, man. If you think about it, you know, we're putting out a minimum, and I mean a minimum of about eight episodes, usually more in a month. I'm saying a minimum of eight. Yeah. That's like 12 cents <laughs> an episode. <laughs> If you're doing it a dollar a month, twelve for less cents. than a cup of coffee. There you go. You Give them the Sally Struthers. Lads <laughs> at the Long Box Crusade. <laughs> These poor, poor, sad boys. They need your support for just a dollar a month. <laughs> and how much you access can help feed do they them? Get? I they I hear they get all the access for that. Mm-hmm. All you the know, access. But seriously, folks, if you wonder what we're spending your money on, we're happy to tell you. Our streaming fees, the program that we use to stream and record and all that stuff, that's what we use it for. Other than that, it's basically send you guys raffle prizes <laughs> and the occasional technology upgrade. Sometimes we upgrade somebody's mic or headset or something like that, but that's where your money's going. And you know what? We really appreciate it. So again, patreon.com slash crusade. You can throw a buck a month our way. We would be most happy. I believe you're uh, spending some money to uh, send some packages out. This mm-hmm. Yes. If you join at the 5 or $10 level, you get an annual package from us, chock full of goodies, comics, toys, things of that nature. Yeah. And we send them out every summer. So uh, I think about the time we get back from Heroes Con, I'm going to start packaging those up, sending it up to our 5 and $10 members. We appreciate each and every one of you. Mm-hmm. Summertime and the living is easy. Anyway. Let's get back to the combat and learn a bit about the film Gladiators about to battle for your pleasure. This episode, I was assigned the year of 2011, so I've selected Mission Impossible 4. Ghost Protocol. <laughs> Doesn't have any actual ghosts in it. I was so disappointed. <laughs> I was too. Uh, they made a lot of ghosts, though. They made a lot of ghosts. <laughs> That's a good point. That's a good point. Jason, what year did the randomizer select for you? I got 2000 and I was in that keep it simple, stupid frame of mind. So I selected for our video dome arena, Mission Impossible 2. Oh my, my. We've got a fine <laughs> matchup for this one, folks. Now it's important to point out this isn't Jared versus Jason. We had to select from our assigned year. Well, I might like his film better than mine or vice versa. And I'm going to tell you, this was harder than I thought it would be. <laughs> Interested to see how the scores fall out. This is all about us discussing beloved action films. And I do love them both and coming to a consensus on which one is this episode's champion. Let's do a quick around the room of where we saw as we prepped for this episode. It's the Mission Impossible franchise, man. I have them all on Blu-ray. I was too lazy to go get them off the shelf, so I just watched them off my Plex server in standard definition instead of high definition, but I watched them both off my Plex. Jason, how'd you watch it? I'm shocked and disappointed. (laughs) Man, I've seen them so many times, I I don't even need the HD anymore. One day I was walking down the Blu-ray aisle at Walmart and I happened to see on clearance the Mission Impossible 1, 2, 3. I think it's 1 through 6 in a package deal. It was like 20 bucks. Oh, man. So that's what I watched it on right there. Rick, I think you just held up the same box that Jason was talking about. Is that how you watched it? I started off by, first of all, realizing back in 2010, my daughter was born and I kind of fell off. Missing some movies. 2011, I just didn't get a chance to see Ghost Protocol. And the rest of the Mission Impossibles come out. And I'm like, well, I haven't seen those ones either because I want to see the ones that came before it. And I haven't seen Ghost Protocol yet. So when I got this assignment, I hadn't seen all of them yet. I had only seen up to one through three, which I owned one through three on DVD. So as I put in an order to go ahead and get the Blu-ray, I went ahead and watched the first three again because I'm going to watch them all. 
Nice. Might as well. Nice. So I watched the first three on DVD. Blu-ray came in and watched the last three on Blu-ray. And then last night I went and rewatched number two again on Blu-ray. And I said, you know, I should have just kept with watching that on DVD. <laughs> <laughs> there is a little bit of a difference once you get in that into that high definition. <laughs> oh, interesting. But, then, but yes, first time watching Ghost Protocol on this, but I just rewatched it again today before the show. So this is actually a first watch for you. For the Ghost Protocol, yes. Nice, nice. Mm-hmm. Okay. And now you've seen all six. Now I've seen all six. All right, folks. Now that we know where we all saw it. It's time for your spoiler warning. If you haven't seen Mission Impossible 2 or 4, then, you know, this is the time to pause and go watch those films and come back and we'll give you a quick musical interlude and we'll see you on the other side. Yeah. And question your life's choices. Okay, folks, I hope you enjoyed those movies. We're going to jump into it, and I'm going to be the first to jump in with some quick info on 2011's Mission Impossible 4, Ghost Protocol. An hour ago, a bomb blew up the Kremlin. The president has initiated Ghost Protocol. The entire IMF has been disavowed. Now I've been ordered to take you to Washington where they will hang the Kremlin bombing on you and your team. Unless you were to escape after assaulting Brandt and me. But if any one of your team is caught, they will be branded terrorists out to incite global nuclear war. So what happens now? Your mission, should you choose to accept it. So, what's the play? helping your cast and crew is as follows it starred tom cruise in case you didn't know that <laughs> jeremy renner and simon Pegg, and many others i just picked the big three uh, it was directed by brad bird <laughs> get ready for the synopsis jason <laughs> And the synopsis goes a little something like this. You know, I've seen this movie like three times and I'm still not exactly sure what happened, but a lot of cool shit happens. That's a synopsis for Mission Impossible 4. 
you're really just phoning these synopsis <laughs> in now nowadays, aren't you? I love watching this movie, but I'm still unclear about what the whole thing was. About. Russian nuclear missiles. That's all you had to say. Russian okay. nuclear missiles. Listen, <laughs> I'm filing this movie in the same file folder as The Living Daylights. I love it. I love The Living Daylights. One of my favorite movies of all time. Am I crystal clear on what's going on in the plot? No. It was a diamonds for heroin for weapons triangle scheme. It's a tale as old as time. All right. Something, something, nuclear codes. I got that much. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, man. But I love it. Hawkeye's there. I mean, what? what? Come on, you know. Anyways, here's the trivia for this film. This first one I actually like quite a bit. The actor that hands Ethan the black mask to place over his head to meet the arms dealer also appeared in the original Mission Impossible from 1996. And in that movie, he gave a black mask to cover Ethan's head to go meet an arms dealer. (laughs) I just think that's great. It's Mask Bob. Mask (laughs) Bob. He gets hired for one job. It's to put a mask on people. I like to think that Brad Bird, the director, was on set with Tom Cruise. And he's like, oh, man, we got to get somebody to hand you a mask. And Tom was like, I know the guy. guy. I know the guy. (laughs) All right. Trivia fact number two. Dermot Mulrooney. This is an actor you may have heard of. He's in like My Best Friend's Wedding, about Schmidt, movies like that. Here's a fun fact. He also plays the cello. And he was in the scoring orchestra for this movie. So he's on the score for Mission Impossible 4 playing the cello. Isn't that weird? Wasn't he in Young Guns? I think he was. I think yeah. he was. Yeah, yeah. One of the yeah. lesser sung Young Guns. Dermot Mulroney on the cello, on the score. I find that fascinating. All right, finally, at around the 17-minute mark, Ethan uses a payphone and punches in a special code so he can talk secret stuff. The special code he punches in is 07362, Tom Cruise's birthday. You old Tom, and you still <laughs> look way better than me. I know. Every time I remind people that Tom Cruise in Fallout is like the same age as Roger Moore was in A View to a Kill, you start to wonder. <laughs> Father um, Time is a fickle man. My goodness. Tom Cruise drinks unicorn blood. That's <laughs> all. Yeah. Well, you had a leftover from Legend. Good call back. Like way back. back. Yeah. All right. Over to you, Jason. All right. I'm going to give you the rundown on 2000's Mission Impossible 2. Sorry I barged in on your vacation. Well, Mr. Hunt, I don't quite know where to begin. Do you know me? No. Should I? She's got no training for this kind of thing. But to go to bed with a man at light home, she's a woman. She's got all the training she needs. Welcome to Australia, mate. This ain't funny. The mother of all nightmares is on the loose. I don't think I can do it. I mean, it'll be difficult. Very. Well, this is not mission difficult, Mr. Hunt. It's mission impossible. Mm 
it should be a walk in the park for you. You gotta be kidding. This message will destruct in five seconds. The cast and crew included Tom Cruise, Dugray Scott, Thandie Newton, and Ving Rhames. It was directed by John Woo. The synopsis goes a little something like this. A rogue IMF agent steals a deadly virus and threatens to hold the world hostage, and it's up to Agent Hunt to stop him. Recruiting some old friends and a new one in the form of a beautiful thief, Hunt and his team travel to Australia to stop the dastardly plot. Which I was able to follow. I could have written that synopsis. (laughs) (laughs) I discovered some really interesting trivia on this one, and I can already hear Kathy like shouting more trivia nuggets. But we can't hear you, Kathy. So you just have to deal with these three. (laughs) Well, she'd call 707-532-5269. Pick up the phone. (laughs) Anyway, trivia nugget number one. John Woo's first cut of the movie. Clocked in at three and a half hours long. So we would really like to see the uh, (laughs) director's cut of this movie. Tom Cruise spins around three or four extra times. There's at least 14 more doves involved. (laughs) Yeah, there's an entire flock of doves. True story. So the production company said, hey, y'all got to cut this down to two hours. And John Woo found himself locked out of the editing room as Tom Cruise himself frantically cut it down to two hours. So if you found yourself asking questions like, why are we just seeing this bad guy's lair like now? Where is this? What's going on here? That's why. They had to cut out a lot of stuff. Second nugget. Dugray Scott was originally supposed to play Wolverine, but he was forced to drop out when MI2 went over schedule. See bullet number one. (laughs) Likewise... Thandie Newton lost out on a role in Charlie's Angels. And I don't have it here in the script, but just between the three of us and our listening audience, John Woo is the only director to not be invited back to do another (laughs) Mission Impossible movie. Yeah. John Woo! John Woo! (laughs) Finally, bullet number three. Tom Cruise essentially lied to the insurance agents and said he would work with a stunt team and then wound up doing 95% of his own stunts. What I've learned from your trivia is that he acted in the movie, he did the stunts of the movie, and he's the editor of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, yes. Talented get. Also had a production credit in there. Like, he was, well, this he was is, a big influencer on this movie. This is his baby now. You know, what started mm-hmm. off as just a one-shot film, mm-hmm. second movie, this became his thing. Yep. Well, now that we have the basics on today's contestants... Ladies and gentlemen, test your might. Uh, let's get ready to rumble. It's a street fight. <laughs> it is some hot Mission Impossible on Mission Impossible action. Usually, you have to pay double for that. All right, let's get into. The rounds before we do that, as a reminder, we're going to play match game. We got two films, five categories. That means there's 10 possible matches. Rick is always guessing on these matches. He's going to know I'm the always answer. guessing. Whenever I'm listening to your show, I stop, go onto Twitter, and I put in my guess before I listen to the show. I love it. And then I listen to it. So 
I'm going to go ahead and just looking at you two and kind of your responses earlier on, I'm going to go for five. I'm going to go for five. I'm going to go right in the middle with five matches. We'll see okay. What I, you know, I like your vibe because I'm just kind of thinking about how I feel about these kind of Jason's body language. Mm-hmm. Stuff. I was going to say four. I was like, I, I yeah, feel like we're going to be I was thinking four as well. Five might be might be shooting just a little bit high, we'll but see. I think we'll see what happens. And speaking of scores, your barometer is as such. On our show, if we give something a five, that means it's average. It's okay. It's decent. You'd see on a you know pretty good made-for-TV movie. That's a five. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Got a pretty good film. Four, three, two, one. And some things to work on. And with that, let's get into round one. That are alive. You are coming with me. Round one is a story. How engaging or original or highly confusing is your story? <laughs> and we will start with Mission Impossible 4. 2011. Rick, you're the guest. You get to have the first word on the story. Unlike you, I was able to follow this pretty well from the first time out. I I, am not a smart man. (laughs) I know what Mission Impossible is. (laughs) Uh, I enjoyed this. I enjoyed all the films about, especially a lot of the later ones. I like the layered storytelling. I like a lot of different beats in there. I want it to be just a little confusing because They're throwing a lot of information at you. They're going to do a bunch of little mini heists. And part of the heist is they make the plan. It's confusing. And then you see the plan action like, ah, I see what they did there. And there's tricks and everything else. I like that. It's just a little bit a cut above. They want to make it impossible. They want this to be just something beyond. So you've got this complicated plot where you've got codes for a missile launch. You've got the device for the missile launch. You've got a lot of different pieces that the bad guys putting together. It's a little bit of the old Cold War spy thing, but I still think it's a good and compelling story. And it's a good Mission Impossible story. It's bigger than event world kind of changing thing. So I enjoyed it. I really thought it was fun and was delightful. And I love the humor in the story. That's the other thing with Mm -hmm. this, too. This is really the start of some good humor in the Mission Impossible series. And it's really well done. And it really hits the marks well. As I was watching it recently, I, I just have to comment two things that just I crack up every time. The discussion between Simon Pegg and Jeremy Renner about how that mag thing's gonna work. <laughs> so you you pass by it really quick again. You're gonna catch me. <laughs> I can't I'm, catch I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna fall. I'm, I'm gonna catch you. But I'm going to fall. <laughs> that was wonderful. You. <laughs> so, so you're basically telling me I'm gonna fall into an oven, but I'm gonna catch you. But I'm gonna catch you. <laughs> right. The other one. I love when Tom Cruise kind of pokes fun at Tom Cruise. And he had another, one of those moments in this movie. It's when he's escaping. Is he at the, from the hospital? I think it's a hospital. Yes. He slides down this rut, lands on this truck, falls off. And even he looks surprised that he lived. He was like, he like looked at the guy was looking down at him. He was looking at the guy. He had that look on his face. Like, I, I don't know how I pulled that off. Well, the beginning part of that entire scene where he's out on the ledge and he's looking down and the bad guy comes out and just slowly takes out the cigarette, looks at him and says, this was your plan. Seemed like a good idea a few minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway, Jason, you could talk about 2011's Mission Impossible for the story. I agree with what Rick said. I will also just kind of add, I think this is where the franchise starts picking up with a little more fun with the addition of characters like Benji. I think Simon Pegg is an excellent add to this cast. So you start getting kind of a range of characters. It's all centered on Tom Cruise, obviously. But you've got a supporting cast that all bring pretty cool elements. 
once you start getting the cast kind of large like that, you start to run the risk of having some redundant characters in there. And I kind of, when I first saw it, thought, well, maybe Jeremy Renner is going to be kind of a, I don't know, like a Tom Cruise light in there. But I thought he did a magnificent job as well. And so they all had parts to play. And I think that's really giving credit to Tom Cruise for giving up some of that control. He's obviously still the star, but he's letting everybody have their peace. And everybody's having fun. And it really shows and it and it comes through. The storyline, Jared, I agree with you. It's overly complex at some parts, but I was able to follow it for the most part. And it's really just a way to get you from one really cool action set to another action set to another action set. Ain't nothing wrong with that on action film face-off. So yeah, story, expect a decent score from me. And to be fair to the film, you know, I saw it in the theater and I (laughs) was able to follow the story the first time. This time, honestly, I was doing artwork here at the table and I had it playing off to the side, so I wasn't as in it. (laughs) So sometimes I find myself going, okay, how did we get here? (laughs) I don't care. (laughs) I don't care. (laughs) I just want to see Tom Cruise do cool Tom Cruise things. And speaking of Tom Cruise during cool Tom Cruise things, it's back to Rick to talk about the story of Mission Impossible 2 from 2000, which clearly Rick and I are far apart on. Yeah. What do you got, man? I read something somewhere on this one that one of the complaints from the first movie is it was too complex and they wanted a simpler story. So John Woo gave them a simpler story. I think this story could have been told in an hour long Mission Impossible TV show. It's very, very simple. I think I've seen it before. (laughs) I've seen it many times before. Near the end of the film, they start to get a little bit more daring and we get a little bit more of the action set pieces. But the beginning, it's using the pretty girl to distract the bad guy to get the information to solve the problem. The problem is a disease and the cure for the disease. Okay, there we go. It's not complex at all. There's not too many moving parts on it. They went with a lot more atmosphere than they went with story in this one. That's why you got a three and a half hour movie with a storyline that fits in a TV show. All right. All right. Jason, what do you got? You're going to be on Team Rick or are you going to say it's better than a TV show? You suck. You're no longer welcome on this program. I'm sorry. I got carried away. Jason, what are your. (laughs) Can he do both? (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to try to. I'm going to try to walk that middle path because I do agree with a lot of, of Rick said. I hadn't seen this movie in a long time, and I watched both of these with my son, as I normally do. And as I watched it again, I realized it almost seemed like John Woo came to the set late. Like the first part of the movie was more kind of the traditional Mission Impossible, set up the sting, get the people in place, play the con against the bad guy. And that element that I really enjoyed from the original TV series, and which we saw, I think, more of in the first movie as well. And then at about the halfway point, it becomes a John Woo movie. And it's clearly just a John Woo movie with, you know, Mission Impossible characters in it. And that's not to say that that's bad, but it's almost, it's very jarring. It's like the first half is one thing, second half is pretty much just kind of balls out action. And then we kind of talked about how there are a lot of scenes that seem cobbled together. And now I understand why, because about an hour and a half had to be chopped out of this film. So I was asking myself, where the heck is this bad guy location? Why is it the first time I'm seeing this? How is Tom Cruise just walking through here playing waste of bad guys? This doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So there were parts of it that were jarring. 
and the plot was relatively simple. But overall, I still found it entertaining. I honestly kind of like the first half I thought was interesting. It was kind of like when we had Goldeneye with 007 versus 009. I'm thinking, this is basically the same thing. We've got two double O's that are going to go head to head here. And I got to admit, it didn't disappoint at the end. So is it flawed? Yes, you'll see it reflected in my score. But still, I'm going to score it above average because at the end of the day, and maybe it's more because of Tom Cruise's editing skills, it holds up pretty well. I largely agree with actually both of you. Jason and I have talked about this in the past. Mission Impossible 1 came out, and they're finding their footing, and they kind of played around with the team concept that the old TV shows were based off of. But and then it kind of just kind of became a action crew or action crew. Well, that's a good, yeah, that's a good first mm-hmm. action cruise film. We will allow it. Yeah. A Tom Cruise action film, you know, sort of his version of Bond. And it wasn't as Mission Impossible as we wanted. And then part two came out and I felt like that they really kind of leaned into that. They're like, you know what? Yeah, it's going to be Cruise's thing, but we're going to John Woo the hell out of it and just kind of make it fanciful and cool looking. It was fun. I remember seeing it in the theater. I remember being thoroughly entertained, but I have to agree with, I think both of you were alluding to it. And Jason said, like, it is at the end of the day, it's a John Woo movie. You should just put it on the shelf with all your other John Woo movies. We all saw this in the theater. Back then, it was a 90s John Woo film. And Mm -hmm. it is such a 90s John Woo film. And now you're kind of looking at it going, we've come a bit of a way, baby. (laughs) (laughs) We've advanced a lot on special effects and action telling and a lot of that stuff. So that's kind of where I also ran into a problem. Back when I saw it in the theater, it was great. Now I'm watching, I'm going, I've seen a lot of other stuff. And (sighs) yeah, there's a dated feel to it. I think that works in one of two ways. Like either you watch it and you go, man, okay, this feels dated. Or sometimes you're in the mood for that. You know, that John, let's be honest, like of all the Mission Impossibles, this is the one that's the most dude bro. It's like the dude bro Mission Impossible is the the most like masculine motorcycles and action and somehow two bodies can slam into each other. But like, you kind of have to love it sometimes. It's weird. Anyway, you guys watch the films out there in listener land. You make up your mind. <laughs> but, you know, it's one of the kind of the cool things though, about the MI franchise is, is you can get different flavors, you know? You know, you, I would, there's different flavors in it. Kind of like the Bond franchise, you can have different flavors. I would agree with that to a point. I do think Jason said it that we really started to get, especially from Ghost Protocol, and I would say a little bit of the third one too. Same. We've yep, got a very strong theme that's going forward. You can see the Mission Impossible cinematic universe, if you will. And it's really easy to tie in the first film to that. It's a lot harder to get that second film into this. That's where I see the real difference. The second film just really feels out of place with everything else. No, I concur on that, actually. I really feel like about the time part three came out, like Tom Cruise had started watching a lot of the old TV shows and going, oh, this is how this should go. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. Anyways, uh, we do this every time. We spend a ton of time in round one. So let's just cap it there. Let's get them scored. All right, Jason, you and I are on a scale of one to 10. Mission Impossible 4, 2011. Story, your score is? I gave it an eight. Really well crafted. I thought the pacing was excellent. The way that they wove the characters. And like I said, just gave every character their own moment to breathe was good. I love them tying in the Russian guy that he helped out at the beginning who becomes critical to the mission at the end. I thought that was a great twist. I just really enjoyed this one. Well above average, eight for me. Yeah, definitely bears mention. That's a really cool beginning. Like, why is he in prison? And like, it was like just a hot start, a very hot start. 
And guess what, Rick? You're well on your way to your five because we just had our first match game. I also have it at an eight. Now this is where the separation begins. Jason, what do you score Mission Impossible 2 from 2000? Story. Well, for all the reasons that I stated, I'm going to give it a six. It starts out as a Mission Impossible movie. It ends as a John Woo movie, which isn't necessarily bad. But as Rick says, it's kind of hard to tie it into that franchise. I think that's very well put, Rick. I think a lot of it, especially based off the research that I did for the trivia nuggets, really suggests that it's much more Tom Cruise's editing than John Woo's directing that gave us the movie that we had, which was, at the end of the day, pretty good. Well above average, so six for me. All right, I'm clearly the homer for MI2. It just hit me at the right time, at the right spot, and I enjoy watching it. It's kind of like being a homer for, like, View to a Kill, which I am, by the way. <laughs> so, uh, you know, those weird ones in the franchise, those those outliers, I scored it an eight. Same score as the other one. Now, do I think uh, Mission Impossible 4 has a better, layered, more complex, interesting story? Yep. Do I think Mission Impossible 2's story is simpler, easier to follow, and executed very well? Yes, I do. So they get eights for different reasons. It's like a taco eight and a pizza eight. They're very different, but I like them both. Fair enough, man. Fair enough, man. Everybody get, get just get used to Jared loving Mission Impossible 2 more than most people. All right. Uh, Rick, you have one bullet to give. It's going to Mission Impossible 4. We don't need to hear from you. <laughs> yeah. And, no, I'm yeah. kidding. Go ahead. I assume no, you're I, giving I, it to I, Mission Impossible 4. What do you, I am what do going you to give it to Mission Impossible 4. I, I will spare some bullets for Mission Impossible 2, but for the story, I just like the story. I like the components a lot better in Ghost Protocol. I get it. I th- honestly think you're both right and that I am an absolute homer. I'm just owning up to that right off the bat. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Fair enough. You know, I had this moment with Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then it's over to Jason. It's time to die. All right. So I'm going to talk about the hero. Uh, we're going to talk about Tom Cruise, obviously, in both of these films. But we're also going to kind of consider the supporting cast and how they played into it. So the overall, the good guys on the side of the film. And we'll go ahead and start with Mission Impossible 4. And again, we'll let our guests go first. Rick, what did you think of Tom Cruise ETAL in Mission Impossible 4? You've got a much bigger cast here, first of all. You've got a lot more people that are really involved. We're going to get to the comparisons, but Paula Patton, we got Jeremy Renner, we got Simon Pegg. We've got a really solid team of heroes here. And looking at Tom Cruise, too, I kind of want to look at his hero-esque atmosphere in here, because we do have different movies, different directors, different versions of the same Ethan Hunt character. I think that this Ethan Hunt in Ghost Protocol has a few different characteristics than in the other movies. He is much more the team player, even the one point where he says, I'm going to do it on my own. It doesn't take much for somebody to say, you're going to need help. I need my help. And he instantly goes back. He trusts his team. He works with his team. And he keeps on saying, yeah, okay, the odds are against us, but we can do this. We can do this. We can do this together. There's a great camaraderie that goes with it too. And so I think that the heroes as a team, the heroes individually, they all bring the different pieces in there. You are right about Jeremy Renner, Brant's character. He is a little bit of an Ethan Hunt light, but yet he is different. He's an analyst. He brings his own special skills to the table. I think they're all great. Also, big shout out for Paula Patton that she's not the love interest of the film. Uh, she I was, doesn't I was say it. It. Uh, I, she was, but just for me personally. 
Well, touche. <laughs> no, it's great having a coworker, and that's part of the, one of the jokes. And there's just a coworker. It's great that they have a working relationship, and it's not you're not having that sexual tension, which is that was the cool thing about the characters. They gave her the backstory that you know her love, yeah, had yeah. been murdered. So yeah, yeah, that that really helped kind of pave her own storyline. They did a good job. How about you, uh, Jared? Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, Jared, you talk now. Yeah, we'll just phase Jason out this whole process. <laughs> yeah, I'm just gonna No, I agree with you wholeheartedly. What a great cast. Just really well put together when you have that many people to be able to give little backstories to each one and they all kind of had their moments and they all have their place, you know. Simon Pegg's the funny guy and Jeremy Renner definitely just like you two both. I was just like, do we need this guy? Like Jason mentioned earlier, I think it's really a testament to Tom Cruise not having a ton of ego when he probably has every right to with his level of success. I think there was a part of Tom Cruise that was like, I am getting older. I can't do everything. Let's spread some of this around. Throw this young kid down the shaft for a change. (laughs) You know, and they do play nicely off each other. You know, another great comedic moment. Jeremy Renner's character yells at him. You don't have enough line. (laughs) No (laughs) <laughs> the entire the entire thing that they are just trolling him simon Pegg and jeremy renner they're just trolling tom cruise <laughs> yeah, I, i'm just the helper <laughs> telling the time is not helping yeah that's right, that's right. that was just good fun times overall so yeah yeah look for a good score and we'll give jason back his round all right well let's talk about tom cruise and his crew in mission impossible 2 and rick what do you think We've got a smaller crew at this point. Uh, we've got Ethan Hunt. We've got Mrs. Newton herself. We've seen her a lot of other stuff. She's incredibly gorgeous. She's the damsel in distress a lot of times in this film. We've got Ving Rames. We've got John Paulson as Billy Baird. So we've got a smaller crew. We don't really get to use Ving and John as the side characters that much. They are very much and also starring. So it's all on Tom Cruise, and he he's not my favorite hero in this. <laughs> he's a great action star, but as far as a hero goes, there's a lot of things that he does, which kind of makes you go, do I really like that? And even he questions it himself. And if we want to also include a hero, we could also talk a little bit about Anthony Hopkins, too. I don't think he is quite the best boss in this situation. <laughs> I think he's kind of a jerk. <laughs> He did uh, have a great line, though. Oh, he's got some great lines in there, but he's an, <laughs> he's a pretty good jerk in there, too. So I think that the good guys have a lot more flaws in this one. And there's not the cohesiveness that you see in the other film as well. And just watching it on its own, not comparing it with anything. It's it's great action star. But at the same time, you're like trying to compare him to a bond. We're really failing on that level, too. So bring us up, Jared. Bring us <laughs> Jared, up. Jared, Jared, Jared's fuming over there. <sighs> Your Honor, if I could defend this, <laughs> please defend away. I, I I deserve it. I deserve it. <laughs> no, no, it's you're right. Those different interpretations in different movies, and and one of the things that I actually kind of like about this one is the flawed characters. Tom Cruise having to make some decisions that he doesn't want to do. You know, it kind of that real world thing. It's not always happy, fun time. Yeah, Anthony Hopkins is rough around the edges. But it's like he gets away with it because he's Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, in the end, it makes people feel more real when they have flaws and raggedy edges. I would agree with that. I would definitely agree with that. But then again, do you need that in a Mission Impossible? <laughs> do you need that gritty reality? Like, yeah, you got it there to have fun. So I kind of get where Rick's coming from, too. 
But as far as the heroes go, like the ensemble, I'm just going to say it's Luther is always welcome. And oh, and definitely. He, yes. You know, mm-hmm. I, he shows up and is he in all, all of them? them? He's in all of them. Is he He's literally in all? in all of them? <laughs> he is in all of them. It's him and Tom Cruise. This is their franchise. I love it. I love it. So like Luther, always welcome. Australian funny guy is Australian funny guy in part yep. two. And then when they bring in Simon Pegg, Australian funny guy doesn't seem so funny anymore. I know that's mean, but at least he brought some lightheartedness. But in the end, I would have liked to have seen just a little bit more of him. Yeah. yeah. In the, and that's what I was about to say. In the end, it's very Tom centric. He is probably at the, I was about to say, he's probably at the height of his powers of his career right then, but it's hard to tell. It might still go. <laughs> you never know. What's interesting to me is it kind of feels like a different Ethan Hunt, which I think, Rick, you mentioned maybe in round one. Like, it's almost a different character. It's just age. He's younger. Yeah, that's fair. He's at the prime of his physical peakness, I guess, in two. But he's also got a lot to learn. And by four, to Rick's earlier point, this is where he's realizing he needs the team. I think it's both... Tom Cruise realizing he needs the team to stay top form for the movie and the movie characters need each other in order to tell a good story. So exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, it sounds like that is our cue to score these categories here. So Jared, MI4 huh. heroes, what are you giving them? All right. Ethan Hunt is all already going to get you a high score. And then when you surround him with that wonderful cast, you're at near perfect, and near perfect for me is a nine. I like that crew a lot. Rick, you got your second match game. I thought the exact same thing. It almost broke my heart because I was looking at it and I said, This crew is better than Daniel Craig's Bond and his crew. Mm-hmm. And it mm-hmm. almost broke my heart. I know, man. We are living in an era where the Mission Impossible franchise is better than our beloved James Bond franchise. And I hate saying <laughs> it that is. out loud. I hate it. <laughs> I hate it, but I had to be honest with myself. So match game nine for me. Nice. Now we're going to go back to Mission Impossible 2. You holding that nine or uh, what are you thinking there, Jared? You know, I'm a homer for it. And, you know, I told you, Ethan Hunt, he's this powerful action hero. Everybody knows his name. I ended up giving Tom Cruise, Ethan Hunt, didn't like the surrounding cast as much, although he did have Luther. Long story short, I gave him an eight. That's three match games, Rick. I gave him an eight as well. So the only question, Rick, that we have is where are we putting that sniper bullet? You can have Mission Impossible 4 run away with it or you can tie it. I got to give it to Mission Impossible 4 because we've got the good team. I'm right there with you guys on the nines for those. It's the promise of something just a little bit better. You said a little more things, a little more time together. And I think the future films, we start to see the cohesion of that. Yeah, so you start seeing that the teams are really coming together. So I've got to go with the four. I've got to go with Ghost Protocol. They got my bullet. There you have it. It's in the bag, Jared. Back to you. All right. That means it's time for round three. Is that your best? Round three is the villain. How menacing, how entertaining, how memorable is your villain? Jason, you get to go first this time. Mission Impossible 4, 2011. Go. There is a villain in it. I'm starting to think we're going to have more match games than we thought. Because, man, I got a lower score on this category than anything else. I'm not going to lie. Okay, I'm just going to be. I got confused. <laughs> it wasn't just the Leafa Tower dust scene. Because there was like one villain, but it was the other villain. There was a villain, the main guy. And then there was like a henchman. And I Kobold, wasn't sure. Kobold was the villain. 
uh-huh. and he was in disguise. He was wearing the mask like all the Mission Impossible people wear a mask, and he was in in disguise, pretending to be his own henchman. Okay, yeah. Is Cobalt and Hendrix, the same person. Yes. Okay. <laughs> he just he just he cleared up a lot of questions for me. <laughs> so okay, says so I was like, what? Who? How? When? Why? So yeah, for me, I think this was kind of the weaker element of this story. I thought the villains weren't terribly well established i didn't quite understand the motivation except the guy thought maybe nuclear war would be a good thing for some reason why not i guess i just wasn't really sold on the villain so much in in mission impossible 4 so that's probably going to be my weakest score here and i'll just leave it at that i'm about to pass it directly jason i'm gonna echo you mission impossible one I was like, that's the one Jim Phelps, the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Mission Impossible 2, do Gray Scott. Mission Impossible 3, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah. Four, question mark. <laughs> <laughs> right? And then I know the ones for five. And six. You see the point I'm making. It's the only one that I was like, who's the, <laughs> who's the bad guy? So, yeah, I hear you on that. But it's Rick's turn to talk. No, I, I would definitely agree with you. We also should include in Leah Sedo as Sabine Moreau. Mm, she is James the, Bond's lady friend. Yep, mm-hmm, yep, yeah. yep, yep, yep. She's in there and she plays a nice little villain at the beginning part before mm-hmm. she yep. tries her hand at skydiving. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Technically base jumping at that base jumping, yes. <laughs> yeah. Touche. Yeah, the bad guys are very shady. I mean, you know that there's bad guys. You know that they're going after them. They're just one step ahead of Ethan and his crew. But at the end of the day, you're like, who was it again? <laughs> you, you know, my, favorite, my favorite guy, the one I actually remembered, was the guy. He cracks me up. He was flirting with the girl at the party. He's like, come find me. I don't have the cell phone and all that. That guy was <laughs> he's, awesome. He's just he's not a bad guy. He's I just guess, a yeah, mark. He's not really even a bad guy. He's, he's a mark, yeah. And, and, even, <laughs> and even the Russian cop that's chasing around Ethan Hunt, he's not a bad guy, too. He's, yeah, he's yeah, a good like guy. Yeah. So yeah. you have... The kobold guy, his henchman, and then the blonde, and go team. I really uh, did like her though. Like she played cold as ice, like cold killer, oh, yeah, really yeah. well. I thought she. Yeah. Did. So yeah, I'm I'm green with you though. I I couldn't tell you too much about this guy. All right, this might be MI2's big comeback category. <laughs> Jason, talk to me about uh, Dougray Scott from Mission Impossible Two. Number one, I just thought he's a really good actor. He just kind of oozed confidence, menace, a little bit of sleaze mixed up in there. You could tell that physically he is going to be somewhat of a match for Ethan Hunt. Like I said, you get that double O versus double O vibe a la Goldeneye that I'm a homer for that when the villain is both the mastermind and a physical match for the hero. That always kind of speaks to me, and we definitely have that there. He had a bunch of little crunchy bad guys that they could just blow up and shoot and everything, which is always cool. Kind of had a cool house had a cool little bunker thing going on. So this guy is just seemed to have it, have it all very memorable to your point. Hadn't seen mission impossible Two in probably about 10 years when I put it on, I remember I was do gray Scott and he was a former IMF guy and he and Tom Cruise are going to throw down at the end. So I was keyed up for it right away. Yeah. I think this is one of those categories that MI2 may come up on top. I feel like you could take do gray scott out of this movie and sean bean out of golden eye and swap them and both movies would still be just as good <laughs> like they're both playing like the same guy and it's, in, a, in a good way yeah. in a good yeah. way <laughs> <clears throat> all right rick what do you got on do gray 
Yeah, I'm mostly agreeing with you on that. I think I would crank up the ooze factor a little bit more on him and also bring down the intelligence. I, I had a problem with this guy because he's got a loyal, a loyal guy that's looking out for him. He is a wingman. He's a bro. He's like, dude, don't not with this girl again. Don't get involved with her again. Don't yep. do it. Yeah, well, um, I'm not going to listen to you and I'm going to cut off your little pinky. And this guy still sticks around. So you got somebody loyal and you're not listening to him and you're disfiguring them. Dude, <laughs> you're, you're- chicks cloud the mind. <laughs> yes, but still, you've got a plan. It's making the money. You can get her later. Make the money. I don't think it was so much stupid. I think it was the arrogance. The arrogance, yeah. Because he yeah. told him, he said, I've thought about this too. I find it suspicious, but he's thinking I can control the situation. I can both get the girl and get the money and, yeah. and the power and everything. And, and, and fine. Tell, tell your friend that, but don't disfigure him. You got a loyal guy there. I'm surprised he didn't turn on him. Let's look at our henchmen at their top strength. That might be a good idea. Just <laughs> cutting off that pinky. Wasn't the worst thing he did. To him. <laughs> no, but still, I did like him. I did like, the wave after wave of minions that Tom crew went through. I think that there are good bad guys that are in there. Let's go ahead and score these two films. Mission impossible Four villain, probably lowest score of the entire episode. At least it is on my sheet. What do you got, Jason? I went with a six. I still think that overall, I mean, it was above average because the villain played into the story. Well, slightly above average. We'll, we'll say. Yeah, definitely one of the weaker elements uh, in my estimation. So six for me. All right. You know, a rule that I established on the show a long time ago, I think when we did, it was a Dirty Harry movie, but I'm trying to remember which one. I think it was the Enforcer. Enforcer? Yes. We, that was, yeah, I remember. That was like our second episode or something. I said, you know what? If I can't remember your villain's name, you get a four. <laughs> and I couldn't remember his name. But like you said... When he was there, and I was like, hey, okay, he's he's manipulating. And he threw down five. with Tom Cruise in the end. I mean, I gave him a five. <laughs> All right. You got a five. That's what you get when I can't remember your name. All right. Going on to Mission Impossible 2 from 2000. At least I remember this guy's name. I remembered a lot of his lines and stuff, too. So look for a better score. Jason, what'd you score? A little bit better. I gave him a seven for all the reasons that we said. I think he was a credible villain, did a really good job. And at the end of the day, I'm a sucker for the guy that's a physical match for the hero. But I also kept in the perspective I gave Tom Cruise an eight on this. So I said, eh, not quite to that Tom Cruise level, but yeah, so I landed on a seven. Match game, same exact thought process. So we've got the fourth match game. We squeeze out one more and we made Crick very happy. <laughs> I might have undersold you guys. I think you guys are going to gonna go above it. I, I have a feeling. Oh, well, Rick, you've got a sniper bullet to give and yeah. I'm throwing this one at two. I, I am going to go along with you guys. I like a lot of the things that occurred in Ghost Protocol, but Doug Ray Scott and his sidekick, his his secret lover, if you will, that guy was giving him some bedroom eyes sometimes. Doug Ray Scott's not well, too bad. You don't cut off too. one of the fingers of your secret lover. <laughs> he does. That's <laughs> not, not a smart play. Anyway. Anyways, I'm going to go ahead and throw it at two. So, pew. There you go. Fair enough. That's the end of round three. The disease on the cure. So it's my turn again. Round four, we're going to do spectacle. How engaging was the film overall? We're talking about cinematography. We're talking about action sequences. We're talking about those moments that make your heart stop. We're talking about the score, the soundtrack, 
all the things that make the film great. And we'll go ahead and start with Jared this time on MI4. Oh, man. All right. In a previous episode, where we played Swap Hosts Month one time, and Delvin was on, and we talked about Fallout. I'm darn sure I gave Fallout a 10. And this is, as we said, sort of the road to Fallout. This is darn near perfect. I might not have a clue what's going on all the time. I'm talking about in real life and in this movie, but, but <laughs> you can't take your eyes off of it. I mean, like I told you, I was literally working on art projects with a screen just off to my right playing it. And I'd find myself stop, watch super cool action scene, realize I haven't drawn anything for 18 minutes. Oh, okay. Better start drawing it like it grabs the eye. And I mean, dude, somehow in every one of these, they managed to sort of reinvigorate the whole dun 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 with different sounds. Mm-hmm. Like Lalo Schifrin is the guy who wrote that, and I probably mispronounced his name, but man, that is a just timeless, timeless song, and it gets your blood pumping. So music's great. Stunts are great. Visuals are great. Wardrobe. We don't know how to talk about that a lot on the show, but everybody looks sharp and cool. Oh, yeah. The women good had job. like really great, sexy looking clothes, and like the guys were dressed in the nines. And it just the scene where he leaves the Kremlin and yes. he's the general, he just goes out that other door, rips off the stripes on his pants, pulls off the mask, takes off the jacket, flips it inside out, puts it back on, and all of a sudden he's a tourist with a. It's amazing. It's amazing. And then beautiful. The whole thing, the whole. Kremlin just starts crumbling behind him. And it's like, what? Like, yes. Great point. Right. This just, once you think the cool part is over, they bring something bigger. And that's like the hallmark of the franchise. So I don't know what the hell they're going to do in seven. Clearly they got to go to space and blow up the moon or something. Oh, there's, I saw like a train going over thing and he's running on the train. Well, he, oh. He's he's on the, he's on the motorcycle and does a base jump with the motorcycle off a cliff. I just, yeah, we saw that in Golden <laughs> but, but I mean, but that's what we're talking about here is it. Yeah. And we know it's Tom Cruise doing the stunts. Yes. That, and that plays largely into my score as well. So there's the big hint, Jason. It's almost perfect. <laughs> well, <laughs> We may be given another match game here. I don't want to spoil it, though. So, Rick. I would just add on to that location, location, location. I wanted to try to count how many different places they went. You make the joke about it's not quite as good as your Bond films, your modern Bond films. There's a fight that you can have with that. But we have the American version of James Bond. That's what we got going on. We got the American version of the secret, the very super secret organization going on here. And you've got him going to the various locations and the, the, the high class places, playing with the cool gadgets, and they do it really, really well. Yeah, they might be stealing some of that from the Bond franchise, but that's okay. They ain't using it right now, so go for it. Um, you know, well said. You know, let's let's play with it. Let's have some fun with it. They're going to Dubai and just how lush it looks. India and the, the, the palace there at India, going to the tall skyscraper. Yeah, just the location aspect alone is worth it. So sign me up. All right. So that was uh, Mission Impossible 4. Jared, talk to us about the spectacle of Mission Impossible Dose. Well, this is another category where surprise, surprise, surprise. It's going to do very, very well. I mean, again, cool use of the theme song. Pretty cool locations. Hot action. Borderline unbelievable. But hey, it's a John Woo film. I was going to say two words, John Woo. John Woo, two words. You got like it is very John Woo. There's a lot of that. Uh, there's doves. There's always gonna be doves. There's fire. There's slow walking. There's hot motorcycle riding. Man, I'll tell you when the movie won me over. Like it. Well, it kind of won me over from the beginning because I'm Homer for it. But 
I love just like John Woo pushing it to that edge of, I mean, all these movies push the edge of reality, but John Woo pushes it probably further than most. Motorcycle chase. Tom Cruise is busting caps with his pistol as the dude is chasing him using nothing but his rear view mirror <laughs> to aim and making it look competent and cool. And I'm like, that is just awesome. I've never seen that before. I've never seen that before or since. So uh, a lot of creativity, maybe a lot of props to Tom Cruise for the editing. Fight scenes look cool. I mean, Cruz was Cruz was doing flips. He was doing kicks. I don't know if you guys ever saw the spoof that Ben Stiller did where he played Tom Cruise's stuntman. I did, yeah. What is this, kick it impossible? <laughs> <laughs> it's dude bro. It's the most dude bro action of all, all of them. But man, is good. All right, Rick, thoughts? John Woo. I think at one point in time in rewatching it, I think I sent you guys a Twitter and I, I said, F and John Woo and his birds. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> just everywhere. <laughs> you see those words coming up, and I'm like, oh yeah, John Woo. This is a John Woo movie. John Woo. Yeah, the bird gave up uh, Tom Cruise's super secret location in that base, too. <laughs> My one kick on this is I did not like the score. The Mission Impossible theme, perfect. But some of the musical choices in a few of the scenes, I was like, eh, they just didn't quite hit for me. They were a little bit Muzak, a little bit too light i don't know it just it a little bit carnival-esque almost and i was like it just doesn't quite fit it's it's not even a good john woo score that's in here i just don't think he got the music to really fit the scene that just kind of stuck out for me you're not alone i think musically it's the weakest link in the franchise yeah. i will defend it just a little bit I, overall i agree mm-hmm. with what you're saying but i did notice when i watched it this time at that point where he tricks do gray scott into killing his guy mm-hmm. and he got the slow motion run out and he takes the mask off and it's him then it kicks into dun 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 and it was like i had like this is how i felt like when the james bond theme started. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like i said when they bring that in chef's kiss perfect fantastic but going back to one other thing i said earlier when i was first watching this on dvd it looked great yeah. looked fine but then i saw the blu-ray where he first sees the thief and they got the flamenco dancing going on, man, the bad CGI really comes out because the flowing dresses that are in front of his face. And I'm like, I can see the lines. I can really see the lines on this. There's just a few of the scenes. You know, he's got the sunglasses on. You see the reflection. And I'm like, that doesn't hold up in HD, man. That just mm, really does. I want it to right. be so much cooler, but I, man, it's, it's really hard. And unfortunately, it's one of the things that we get from that period of time where they're like, we've got this great CGI and we're going to use it. Less is more. And you guys haven't gotten it perfected yet. So back off just a second. And unfortunately, there's too many places where this movie relies on that. Yeah, I agree. You know, and this isn't the first time we've had this discussion on some of those late 90s, early 2000 movies where like the CGI looks great, you know, through a 90s lens, <laughs> but that doesn't really hold up in- here in 2022. So good points all around. I think all that's left to do at this point is to score them. So Jared, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. What are you giving it for spectacle, sir? As I wink, winked at you, I'm feeling a nine on this. And it, it might even be an unfair nine because I'm comparing it to the subsequent Mission Impossible movies, which the next two are absolute tens for me. This might deserve a 10 in and of itself, but it's getting that unfair comparison in its own franchise. But hey, it's a nine, and that's pretty spectacular. Man, that's a match game for us again. Rick knows us better than we know ourselves. 
you know, exact same reasons. In my heart, I was like, is this a 10? I could make an argument for it, but I did the same thing. I was like, <laughs> been a while since I've seen five and six, but I remember those had some pretty baller moments. So I landed on nine as well. What about for Mission Impossible 2? What did you give the spectacle there? Another strong suit. Not as strong as uh, Mission Impossible 4, but I gave it an eight. All right. Another match game. Same reason. I thought it wasn't quite as good as Mission Impossible 4, but... You know, when I see him make that leap at the beginning on that cliff and go to that ledge, my heart jumps up into my throat every time, even though I know he's going to make it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh, he made it Hey, hey, come on. If Captain Kirk can do it, I'm pretty sure Ethan Hawke can do it. He's not going to do this. You know, I'm just just saying, just saying. I certainly hate to say this, but I got to give Rick some credit. Mm. But I think you're right. I think it's home is DVD. I didn't realize it until... Like I said, first time I watched it, it was on DVD. And then last night I'm watching, I'm going, ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> And that's got like, when I look at Mission Impossible 4, it just feels more polished. Yeah. And that's, that's probably what, why yeah. I was thinking of is, is what Rick pointed out, that it's just a little too much CGI. You're probably right. Yeah. I'll just go ahead and say that, you know, first of all, I misjudged the match game. I, I lowballed it too much there, but that's all right. That's all right. I am going to go ahead and go with four. Ghost Protocol gets my bullet on this one, too. All right, that's my round. Kind of. We're moving into round five. I was like, wait a minute, hold on. I know this show. I, w- I listen to this all the time. <laughs> this next round's your, your round that's two. Right. If you see the official score sheet, Rick, the blue rounds are mine. And so it's a blue round. It's a blue round, but you still get to lead it. Yeah. All right, let's lead off round five. <laughs> round five is best action scene. And man, oh man, we've got a fair amount to pick from. Jason usually breaks them down for us movie by movie. We all talk about what our favorite scene is. We double back and score them. We'll all make it make sense in a minute. Jason, Mission Impossible 4, please break down your action scenes. What were the top scenes for you in this one? Let me break out my notes. Everybody loves the notes. Uh, These notes. These notes. (laughs) All right. Mission Impossible 4. Had to be kind of selective here because a lot of little action scenes kind of spread out through here, but I just focused on kind of the top four main ones that I thought were the biggies. First one, opening scene, the prison break and the fight out of the prison break, or as I call it, Russian for the exit. <laughs> <laughs> and then I kind of had to go all the way to, because we had some really good like Mission Impossibly scene elements, but the next really big action scene is at that Burj Khalifa hotel. I just called that one. Nope. <laughs> no, sir. Nope. nope. That'd be it for me. Mission is done. I just called it. Nope. We're going to nope. keep that one simple. Then that led into the sandstorm chase, which I thought was actually pretty cool. If you'd have told me it's like, we're going to have some blind leading the blind in a sandstorm chase and it'd be interesting. I'd be like, eh, really? But this was really cool. All right. I called this one. Time out. Time out. I got something in my eye. <laughs> I think it's sand. Yeah. <laughs> and then the last one, I kind of cobbled together the fight as the team was engaging the henchmen. And then he's at the, I wasn't really sure. Was that like a, one of those elevator auto garage things, or was that like a car dealership? It's a car park. It's an elevated car park. Yeah. That's what, okay. That's what I thought. So I, that's what I call it. Final fight in the car elevator or 
this facility is not responsible for damage. <laughs> I, knew, I knew you were going to use it again. As I was watching the movie, I was like, Jesus, I'm going to use the one pilot. You know, I struggled on it. I was like, what am I going to call this? And I was like, I'm so happy I'm right just, now. I'm just overthinking this. <laughs> I, when I was watching the scene, I was like, Jason's going to reuse the Highlander joke. I can feel it. <laughs> Excellent. Yes, sir. All right, Jason, of those four major ones, which one was your favorite? Part of me wanted to do the car elevator fight scene, which was spectacular. But at the end of the day, Jared, you know, I was a paratrooper. I trained to jump from airplanes, had my heart in my throat every time I jumped from an airplane. I would rather jump from an airplane than watch that scene where he's climbing up the side of that. And then when he makes that jump, when he makes that jump into the window, just to give another additional selling point, I'm watching both with my son. When he makes the jump in Mission Impossible 2, on the cliff, Drake laughs. When he makes that jump, he's like, Ugh. <laughs> I mean, So to me, when I think of the movie, I think of that scene. That entire scene is just really well executed. Part of my throat, I'm going to give it the nope. <laughs> nope is getting my vote. You know what? I'm right there with you. And I even really like the opening scene in the Russian prison as well. Oh, it's it's great. Fantastic. But just like you, when I think back on it, First thing I think of is the huge building, the nope, the uh, Dubai scene. Rick, what about you? Yeah, three for three on that one. I've got to go with you. The other part of that scene, too, there's comedy elements in it. They're having fun. I mean, they're, they're making mm-hmm. fun of them doing it. They're, they're not worried. Well, they are, but they're not worried. There's a couple of good button hits with the comedy elements, and he doesn't land it. He hits his head going in that window, so it's like he's not perfect. He's coming in and he knocks his head and it takes a team effort to pull him in. It's just good boom. point. And then it goes right from there. Like, you know, Simon Pegg comes in. What did I miss? And right. Instantly go into, okay, there's no time to rest. We got to go and do the con now. So yeah, it's, it keeps the real momentum going. So I'm with you guys on Nope. The best part of that is Simon Pegg comes in complaining about what he did. Just did yeah. was so difficult. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, we need him. We can't kill him. <laughs> wow. Well, yeah, it's a great scene. All right. So we're all in agreement on. Nope. Yep. Let's go to Mission Impossible 2. Jason, again, no shortage of action scenes. That is true. But really, again, as I talked about at the beginning, the action scenes don't really start piling on until the second half of the movie. True. I didn't really count as action scenes the cons that they were running like at the racetrack or things like that, or when he's recruiting the girl, although they were cool and they were interesting, not really action scenes. So I picked up the action scenes really when he breaks into the pharmaceutical places, really when it starts to pick up. So I did the break in slash shootout, or as I called it, woo. (laughs) Yes. I love it. And then it really, transitions to when he raids the enemy base he tricks the guy by putting his mask on the bad guy and he wears the mask and don't know where he got the mask but you know let's not dig too deep into that but i called that one i'm gonna take his face off Off. (laughs) (laughs) okay he went in a different direction there but i respect it i respect it (laughs) it leads into the motorcycle chase and i'm including like all those cars and you know and, and Luther in the helicopter with the grenade launcher, which was badass. And I called that one uh, motorcycle chase. Or what are you going to pick? Crotch rockets. <laughs> Proceed, uh, sir. All right. No. <laughs> and then this was kind of deep. 
this one's kind of deep. I'm going to see if you all get this one. The final fight, the fight scene at the end. Or, hey, quick kicking that sand in, in our faces. That man is the worst nuisance on the beach. Old comic book ad. There you go. Old comic book ad. Yeah. Oh, fabulous. Yeah. 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 All right. I love it. I love it. Okay, Jason. Favorite action scene. I know. Go motorcycle chase. The motorcycle. I did love that final fight scene. I thought the fight scene at the end was really good, but had to go with the motorcycle chase. Yes. I still haven't decided, so I have to decide in the time it takes Rick to tell me what his favorite action scene. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm kind of tossing up between face off and crotch rocket i'm gonna go ahead and go with the face off one because there's some sneaky sneaky stuff that's going on in there as much as i just put my head in my hands and say dang you john woo with the stupid birds it's a john woo yeah it's the john woo thing that's right there so i'm gonna go with face off i'm gonna go with face off all right we got one for face off we got one for what are you gonna pick crotch rockets (laughs) what are you gonna do jared i'm completely torn between the pharmaceutical shootout and the crotch rocket. So for the sake of variety, I'll go with the pharma. What did you call the pharmaceutical shootout again? Woo! Woo! It was so dumb. We like, all right, you've seen the killers. You've seen hard-boiled replacement killers. You know, the whole spinning around. You got to see Tom Cruise do the John Woo spin. But no trench coat. Yeah, he was trench coat. He was trench coat. <clears throat> just one of the burned into my brain images, like from when I saw it in the theater the first time, and I was just like, oh, that's badass. I like it for its dramatic moment where she makes the decision. Like this is the only way I can extend this is to just shoot mm-hmm. myself up with this. And now, cause now she's got the bad guy, by the balls, but she's also dying at the same time. So it's like eh. gutsy move by the gal. Very dramatically done. Tom Cruise, his acting, not bad. He's, you could see he's processing that. He even does the John Woo spin just to kneal down and talk to her. I don't know if you caught that, but like he does a little John Woo spin, he kneels down, he talks to her. Right. So I'm like, he's doing John Woo stuff. And I'm like, so happy. And then he throws the backpack. He shoots mm-hmm. the backpack. And I think another John Woo spin. Boom. Blows a hole in the wall. Jumps out of the hole in the wall. Two pistols in the air. Like freaking James Bond on crack. And then pops a parachute and flies off. I'm like, this movie is just, I love it. I love it. I think if I'm honest with myself, the action spectacle of the motorcycle scene is baller, but I just go back that first time I saw it in the theater and he, all the, that the entire, action and just leaping out that hole in the wall. I was just like, this movie owns me at this the point. Entire, <laughs> the entire ending part. I mean, really, it's, it is one long action scene starting at the pharmaceutical and going all the way until the credits come up. Yep. It's, it's one much. long action scene at that point in time. And yeah, like, ah, here we are. <laughs> here we are. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Let's do some score and then Jason, let's head back to uh, 2011 and everybody liked, uh, nope. So uh, what'd you score? You know, I thought long and hard about this. I don't give out tens very easy, but this one gets a 10. Flawless victory. For all the reasons I said, like I've seen this movie several times. I know he's going to make that jump. My heart is in my throat when I see him on the outside of that building. And I know that's Tom Cruise on the outside of that building. That's Tom Cruise doing those stunts. I don't have to see the James Bond switch when it's like old-ass Roger Moore, and then it's like there's a young man there, <laughs> then it's back to old-ass Roger I'm Moore. I'm not sure what you're talking about. I, you, you do know what I'm talking about. I'm seeing Tom Cruise start to finish do some amazing stuff. I've seen it before, and every time I watch it, it grabs me. That's a long-winded way of saying 10. Ooh, I'm looking at it now, and it says Snopes says it's mostly true, but I'm still going to go with it. There's a picture of him just chilling at the top of that building 
on the antenna of the nope. building. No, nope. yeah, nope, nope. But at the same time, you're like, yeah, I could see him doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Hard pass. That's right. All right, Jason, I'm really right there with you. The only reason I didn't give it a 10 is because it's more of a thriller scene than an action scene. But they did, I agree. I agree. They did yeah. put some action elements in there, especially with the two ladies fighting. That was a pretty good. Yeah, uh, two hot scene. ladies fighting, too. I mean, that's, I noticed that's, that. I noticed that's that too. the second most interesting thing I've seen. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> well, well, good point. Anyway, I gave it a nine. Let's go to Mission Impossible 2 from back in 2000. Lots to pick from. And you ended up on the motorcycle scene. What'd you score it? I scored that one an eight. There are definitely some better car chases in cinematic history, but this one is up there amongst the leaders of the pack. Well above average, not the best. I think, you know, Bond actually still manages to get some pretty good car chases in there from time to time. So, yeah, I think uh, eight for me on Mission Impossible 2. I will say this, though. uh, Never seen a better motorcycle chase. There's some good Jackie Chan ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there is. Uh, but anyways, uh, match game number seven. I scored woo, an eight as well. So we, we squeezed one more match game into it. And now it is Rick's turn to pick which movie he thought overall had better action scenes. And I got to go with Ghost Protocol. And, and it's for what we've been talking about. I'm still looking at this picture. And while you guys were talking, I looked it up and. The only reason why Snopes is saying it's mostly true is he is wearing a harness, but he is still sitting on the antenna on top of that building. <laughs> so you have to wrap your head around. He did his own stunts in there. And yeah, he had a harness that they digitally removed, but still, nope. Nope, 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 <laughs> no, nope. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I know he's got a harness. <laughs> but still. I get that. Still, nope. It is impressive. And everything he does in that film is great. They do a good job of making it fun and entertaining all of the stunt scenes in that film so yeah ghost protocol all right one more kind of round to go jason hit us with round six you could ask yourself a question do i feel lucky well do you punk well round six is the deduction round the round for the ridiculous are we going to take any points off of either of these movies jared start with you no their mission impossible movies are supposed to be ridiculous there's ridiculous elements (laughs) You know, especially in like part two, like I said, where the two guys just basically smack into each other going full speed on a motorcycle, they'd both be dead. <laughs> they'd both be dead. I could take one off for that, but I'm like, you know, you're so involved and it's so extraordinary and they're Mission Impossible. No, I'm not taking anything off or anything. I considered also for Mission Impossible too, like the fact that he happened to have a mask of himself and a mask of the guy and put the mask <laughs> of himself on the guy. Now we know that it's guy. in that 90 minutes that's on the cutting room floor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there probably was. 90 minutes of him waiting for the mask to come out. Like, yeah. oh, here we go. <laughs> but, you know, same thing. If you think about it too hard, you could deduct a point, I guess. But I'm not going to. It's Mission Impossible. So I know I would agree with you guys on that, too. Some of the kicks and, and martial arts in two. Apparently, he learned those skills and then forgot them. <laughs> for that movie. Yeah, you know, he does the tomahawk flip kick on the one guard outside before he goes inside the facility. I'm like, OK. <laughs> sure right okay yeah, whatever. just football punt that guy man just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. comes up just a psych a bicycle kick sure okay sure the ridiculous it is mission impossible fair enough and that is the end of our official rounds 
All right, folks, don't worry if you haven't been keeping up with the math at home. We do that for you at Action Film Face-Off. Before we reveal the scores, of course, you probably kept up with that. We had seven match games, more than any of us thought we would have had. Seven match games. And as far as the sniper bullets went, Rick gave four of his five bullets to MI4 and one to MI2. So, looking at the judges' scorecards, the winner of this episode of Action Film Face-Off with a score of 86 to 77. Mission Impossible 4, Ghost Protocol. Congratulations to Mission Impossible, Ghost Protocol. Now let's head over to the randomizer and find out what the years are going to be for our next episode. My brother Jared will be pulling a film from... Choose Your Destiny. ...2013. And I will be pulling a film from... Choose Your Destiny. ...2021. Hey, Jared, wasn't that Fast and Furious 9 movie in 2021? Yeah, and as I'm looking at this, Fast and Furious 6 came out in 2013. Oh. We should do a Fast and Furious double feature. Like we, we did you know what? Mission We've been Impossible. meaning to. We've been oh. meaning to. Yeah. Nine, that, that's where Don's living the quiet life. And, and six, that's where they, they do the heist in Rio. Oh, dudes, I'm in on this. Let's do this, man. You want to be the guest? Yeah. I can't yeah. think anybody else who would be a better guest for this. Yeah. Let's, let's... I'm, I'm homer for these ones, man. All right, episode. Rick. I guess right. Rick's going to be coming back on our next episode for our Fast and Furious double feature. Nice. Nobody's going to be angry about this, right? Oh, we're just kidding, Kathy. These aren't really the years. Come on. Go pick up your phone. That you just <laughs> oh, we're, across the room. We are so clever. Yeah, we're so funny. We're funny hey, guys. Hey, you can actually see the money coming right off you guys' Patreon account there. <laughs> just take that right is off. true. She does give us money. We probably should treat her nicer. In reality, my brother Jared will be pulling a film from Choose Your Destiny. 1992. And I will be bringing a film from Choose Your Destiny. 1974. Holy cow, I was three years old. What will those films be? Well, we'll tease them on social media for those of you who want to watch before listening. And we're thinking of you, Dave. Or you can tune in next episode to find out. Until then, I'm Jason Weasel Skull Albrecht. And you can find me on social media at Weasel Skull on Twitter or at Jason Albrick on Facebook and Instagram. And you can find me, Jared Albrick, the Yard Sale Artist, a.k.a. Death Bro, at Yard Sale Artist. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, it's all at Yard Sale Artist. You can check out my wares at www.theyardsaleartist.com. Rick, pimp yourself. Well, you can always find me up in the attic at the monthly Monday movie Muckabout headquarters, where I uh, drop a movie review with a friend once a month. You can also find me and my co-host Jeff over at Unpacking the Power of Power Pack. And speaking of which, Jeff, you can actually see over there, he is actually tied up in the other room with a small little explosive tied to him. And uh, at the other end is this wire right here, which I am going to light right now. Later. All right. Thanks, Rick. 
Be sure to check out all the shows under the Longbox Crusade umbrella by subscribing to Longbox Crusade on Apple Podcasts, whatever Google calls our podcast thing. You know, all the finer podcasters out there, you can find Longbox Crusade. You can check us out directly at www.longboxcrusade. And if you'd like to send a question or a comment, you can... Did y'all hear that? Must That's have been not important. <laughs> anyway, if you'd like to send us a question or a comment, you can do that by hitting us up on social media at Longbox Crusade, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and of course on YouTube. We'd love to get your subscription on YouTube. Come check us out. And one more way to get in touch with us, you can leave us a voicemail at 707-532-5269. That's 707-532-LBOX. Pick up the phone. Mm, that's hot. Thanks for tuning in. We appreciate you listening. And until next episode, keep your head down and, and your, your knuckles, knuckles up. The intro and outro theme to this show and all of our action film face-off shows are done by musical genius Joe November. Check out his SoundCloud at J-O-S-E-F-L-I-N-9-9. You will not regret it.